I'm going to be honest, masterpiece, the ultimate bedroom. Where are the beds? Who needs beds when you've got... Ball to open. Ball to open. Yes, and what do you do? You've got a whole world inside your head. I know. It's funny, isn't it? Now, eyes on the box. Oh, caretaker. Here comes the drums! So here it comes, the sound of drums. Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to do all of Doctor Who, the TV show, in very, very random story order, uh, and to do The Sound of Drums as a completely butchered version of the Doctor Who title. My name is Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal, and we are proud of our butchering here on Pull to Open. <laughs> We're all about the butchering. We have That's knives. Right. You should see all the knives out of the shot if you're watching on YouTube that I actually have in this room. No, yeah, Chris and I are a couple guys uh, not employed as butchers currently, but we have been <laughs> journalists and are journalists, and we have occasionally written about Doctor Who, uh, love the show, and have been uh, doing this random journey for some time now. And yes. sometimes it's a lonely journey with just the two of us. So I wanted to let everyone know that it'll be a little less lonely next week. Um, so next week, we're going to have a couple of guests on the show to help join and comment on whatever episode the randomizer will spin up for us at the end of this episode. And those will be the guys from the Cloister Bell podcast, Rob and Liam. They're going to come by here to pull to open. We'll have cross podcast energy happening. Uh, it's going to be a great so time. Exciting. This is, this is going to be our first uh, four person TARDIS basically. I know. <laughs> I'm excited, but I'm also a little nervous about how this is going to look on YouTube. I'm cutting it. <laughs> do I do four vertical, the four quad? Uh, tune in next week to find out what we did. Well, we have been. I feel like the the you know the randomizer has prepared for this moment in the same way that the Watcher did, because it's been giving us so many three companion, uh, you know, basically four person TARDIS oh, yeah. uh, stories yeah. recently. So, uh, so this, we're going to have our own crowded artist. artist. Exactly, exactly. So we're, right. we're going to have to figure out who's Adric. Um, or maybe I'll, I'll be Turlo. I'll, <laughs> I'll dress up as the public school boy. Um, who's Ace? Ace? Who gets to be Ace <laughs> and carry around the Nitro 9 and smash things with a baseball bat? <laughs> Was Ace ever part well, of line a forms here. Thing? Line forms here. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we're, we're getting a little off topic because the topic on Pull to Open, as ever, is our random journey. And you have clicked on this podcast in part because you saw uh, the, the title of the show that we are about to review, the title of the story we're about to review, or maybe you didn't. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to tell you about our random journey and how, how we've been, where we've been to. Four episodes ago, we were at the OK Corral um, and uh, the Last Chance Saloon with the gunfighters, that Hartnell story that is sort of, we decided, deservedly not very popular. Three episodes ago, yeah. the first, yeah. Don't <laughs> kick the gunfighters. Don't kick the gunfighters. Okay? Don't kick the gunfighters when it's down and playing dead. Um, 
and pretending sweets. to be shot. Yeah, <laughs> have some sweet, but don't don't crunch that sweet doctor because that's exactly what you did three episodes ago in our first real episode of 2023, not counting the clip show, uh, when we went to the celestial toy maker and that evil toy maker made the doctor play a boring game and then eat a sweet. Uh, uh, diabolical! It's I tell the you. worst babysitter then- ever. <laughs> <laughs> two t- two times ago, two episodes of Pulled Over to Go, we went to a country house in 1925 for Black Orchid, where the murder was almost beside the point. Um, the doctor had a lovely time doing it, and then we rocketed forward in time to uh, Revolution of the Daleks, which we said at the time was the last holiday special. We were so sure of ourselves uh, that the, the, this Whitaker Captain Jack uh, Chris North special was uh, the last we'd seen. Of course, it was not, was it, Pete? No, it was not. And this is now our semi-regular correction segment of Pull to Open, (laughs) which um, we we have to get a correction in. Of course, uh, the last holiday special was, in fact, Eve of the Daleks. I don't know why we didn't think of that, uh, because it's been it's so fresh. It's almost it's almost too recent. I guess. Yeah. But yeah. It's not very not holiday exactly specially. It's not very holiday specially, but uh, then again, neither, neither is Revolution of the Daleks. So, uh, yeah. So we were wrong about that. Rule number one pull to open lies. Um, thanks uh, for not correcting us too much. And anyway, that we have, we have rocketed back in time again after Revolution of the Daleks to another holiday special because. The randomizer listened to us a few episodes ago, and we said, I believe you said, Pete, take us to a holiday special. Now it is just giving us two holiday specials in a row because we are at the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe, that Christmas special all the way back in 2011. Uh, And I hesitate to say it, but that is uh, 12 to 13 years ago at this point. Uh, Matt's second holiday special. And it's uh, had, it's an interesting one. He had four. Yeah. He had yeah, four. It is. I mean, halfway through. You know, we'll get to it in the pod, but this is like when I think the Stephen Moffat era of Doctor Who was really taken full hold, and hmm. his vision of the show and what this episode. Uh, like it's full. That vision is on full display. So, well, yes, whether, whatever you is, think of it, this is this is kind of peak Moffat. He's he's at his moffatiest for for better or worse, <laughs> and we'll we'll talk about what that means. But first, we shall plunge into the uh, cool, refreshing pool known as the feedback loop. Hello, feedback loop. Hey everyone. Hello. Normally, I'm here asking everyone listening to please head over to their nearest podcast app, usually the Apple podcast app, to leave a review. I'm still doing that, to be clear. Please do Mm. that. Reviews really do help the show. But what I really want to start off with this time, because it dovetails so nicely what we we just talked about in terms of correcting ourselves, (laughs) is a special contribution from one of our fans. And on the show, we often talk about bingo cards. We talk about bingo cards that we fill in, or did we get all the two episoders from the classic series, for example? Did we get all the Claws of Axis references in the entire series? That's kind of a short, smaller bingo card, but it's I think it's we fun have. I think we got play. that. Yeah, yeah, I think we did. We, we need a sound effect. Like we just hit the button. Like, yep, yeah, we've done it. All Claws of Axis references. 
so we've always mused, should we actually create some bingo cards and have some fun with that? I'm thinking, you know, it's in the back of our head, sure, whenever we <laughs> stop having day jobs, maybe we'll have time for that. But luckily, uh, we have you guys, the fans, and you've uh, always risen up to do uh, the things that we always could only dream of doing. And uh, we could never do it as well, frankly, because one of our fans, and it's Joe, Jingle Joe Rep on Twitter, has created the first official pull to open. I'm declaring it official as one of those to pull to open. <laughs> the first official pull to open bingo card. And it's amazing. Uh, you could follow our Twitter and it pull to open 63 on Twitter uh, if, if you're uh, un- unsure. And just check it out. It, we, we've got it in our, our timeline. And it's, it's just awesome. I won't read every single square, but I love that there's a square. Google it. Google it. <laughs> quotes yeah. are yeah, official I, catchphrase, and that one of the one of the squares is successful TLDW, which of course is our <laughs> with an exclamation point because it of course is our regular segment where we summarize the show in record time, and sometimes we do it, and sometimes we need a little extra time, which would probably be an unsuccessful TLDW, and of course what we've already done, we've hit that bingo card last time for sure. Something blatantly wrong was said without correction. That's one of the squares. Uh, yes, I was going to say, yep. we, have, we have already in this episode filled in at least three squares here. Uh, we've got <laughs> the randomizer answers a request from three episodes ago, and I'm pretty sure that was right around go. when you asked, you asked for holiday specials. Uh, something blatantly wrong is said without correction. Yes, we got that. The sound of drums, uh, we always have it, so that's the the center square. Uh, we've already got that. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, Pete, yeah. you've got to do a very, you have to do a very cheesy segue. Um, little, little nitpick. <laughs> oh, that's not how we spell segue. Just you wait. <laughs> and I've got to do history corner. Uh, I've got to say the randomizer is scary. Um, that's, that's, that's very me. Um, and, uh, yep. you, you, the person reading this are responded to in the feedback loop. I feel like we've got some, some inception going on there because that's, that's, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're responding to the person re- who first wrote this in the feedback loop. It's, I'm not even sure what, what TARDIS we're in right now, Pete. It's, it's a Logopolis moment. <laughs> totally. And I love that they've thought about this because they have all of our ratings, the Dalek, the Ogron, the Professor Hater, the Viscount Banger, and they're all in separate <laughs> rows. So yes. it is like, <laughs> they put some thought into this and that like, hey, this is, you know, it could actually be used. So it's pretty cool stuff. Go check it out on our Twitter, pull to open 63 uh, and fill it in. Yeah, <laughs> I'm can, looking forward. You can do it again and again. Looking forward with, to seeing uh, if Pete, Pete and Chris disagree about the episode is going to be filled in for this one. Uh, well, if you think I, about it, we just teased we just teased our next episode mm. uh, with four people. We could theoretically fill in all four of those ratings. Wow! Depending on what we all think of it, which would be like that because ordinarily, if it's just the two of us, we we it'd be hard to get all four of those. But you could have a full bingo card when we have guests. You really could, and yeah. So, so that's uh, your warning, your early warning for next week. Print out this bingo card, start filling it in next week. And uh, if you wanted to make it a drinking game, I'm, I'm not going to stop you. Uh, I feel like you know the randomizer is telling us that it's basically. Uh, the holidays for at least a month after Christmas, so uh, you know, you you want to you want to turn this, this into a holiday drinking game? You go for it. We are not going to judge. 
And if you ever fill in the entire thing, go ahead and send it to pull to open headquarters with a self-addressed envelope and you will Got be no given your no prize in that envelope. Awesome stuff. So thanks so much, Joe, uh, for making that uh, good stuff. And that will, I <laughs> don't have a cheesy segue, but I'm going to go to some of our loyal fans from Joe, who's a super loyal fan to some of our other loyal fans who often listen on Spotify. So I'm talking to you, Spotify listeners. So there are two things in Spotify that I want to make people aware of. So if you're listening on Spotify, you one, you can rate the show. So please do, in addition to possibly leaving a review in the Apple Podcast app on your Spotify app, it has to be the mobile app. This doesn't exist on desktop. But if you go to the mobile app, you can rate the podcast with however many stars you like. And for some reason, all those stars in this Dr. Widow in the Wardrobe that were on the top of the Christmas trees, I think there was a multiple of five. Yeah, uh, that's right. The the, the life force... The life force is is very strongly veering. If if you want to be strong and contain all these stars, uh, all these life forces, then then you do five stars. It also, because I believe our current ranking in Spotify is five stars. That's the average. So mm. uh, you you wouldn't want to bring down the average, would you? Yeah, would you? Don't bring down look, the average. Look at don't us. Don't bring us down. Yeah. Let's <laughs> yeah. go ahead and rate Maybe. the app. So another bonus on Spotify. Uh, the, there are polls that we can push to Spotify. So what we're going to do, starting with this poll to open, we're going to send some of the answers to our qu- four questions to Doomsday. Now, we do the four questions to Doomsday at the end of every commentary, and we give up possibilities for where's the Clara Sprinter? Where, what if the evil plot had succeeded? And often there are multiple of these. We have multiple explanations. So we're going to put those. We're going to pick one of our questions this week, whatever seems the most appropriate, and we're going to put that in a poll. What do, where do you think the Clara Sprinter is? What's the best explanation? Uh, what if the evil plot had succeeded, et cetera? Those, uh, those kind of things, and we'll see how that... So we'll, we want to get your voice. We want to hear where you think uh, these things are, and if you know, we get enough people voting and this becomes a regular thing. Maybe this takes place. The, these, these, the results of these polls will, will go to the, our codex. So mm. we'll have, we'll have the clear answer, the, the winning answer to each of these things, uh, in, in forever locked in pull to open lore. So, uh, please, if you're on Spotify, watch for those and give us a vote. I'm, I'm very excited about this because I have noticed that little Q Q and a, like that, that Spotify is how I uh, watch and or listen to uh, this podcast because I watch or listen of to this course. podcast, of course. Yes, um, and you're a discerning uh, I, I, to open listener. You're one of our most loyal. You've also subscribed to the YouTube, which we'll talk <laughs> I, about in a second. But I think just, that's just recently. <laughs> but I, I'm I'm saying that maybe we could also for that Q and A uh, let let the people decide. Uh, let the people vote yeah. on whether this is a Viscount Banger, an Ogron, a Dalek, or a Professor Hater. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. For sure. The, the very, viewers very rating. Exciting. Yeah, we, we could yeah. be overruled, which which seems appropriate. We we are not the three who rule. We're not even the two who rule. You, you, <laughs> dear listeners, are the ones who rule. And your your rating could rule over ours. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Check out that Q&A for some very exciting questions. All right, so we'll remind you about that again at the end of the podcast. And also reminding you, we are on YouTube. We are at youtube.com slash pull to open. So season three, the early part of season three of pull to open the podcast is still going 
uh, posting to YouTube every Wednesday. The most recent commentary we posted was Closing Time, which was a fun which is one. in this same season. It is, so, that's right. Yeah, yeah, once again, the randomizer is drawing its own connections, knows where we're up to and posting on YouTube. And I'll just say it so you can fill in that bingo square, I'm scared of the randomizer. <laughs> <laughs> time echoes of the randomizer picking up on. But yes, Closing Time just posted, mm-hmm. so check those out. Of course, all of our social videos, so those uh, shorts that we cut to TikTok, they're also on YouTube. You also get our plot summaries, and again, our plot summaries on uh, YouTube will be cut for YouTube. So going forward, you're going to get that uh, horizontal aspect ratio for everything we're posting to YouTube in terms of plot summary. So that's a fun thing to look forward to. Definitely a good reason to subscribe there because we really want to get to a thousand subscribers sooner than later in 2023. Uh, we've passed 500. We're, we're inching towards 600, but I think we can explode forward. So please, if you're subscribing to the podcast anywhere and you haven't subscribed on YouTube, and you don't mind giving your data to Google, <laughs> go over there and yes. also subscribe on YouTube. Uh, yes, don't just you don't Google like it, Google, YouTube it. If you don't like Google, just create a burner account <laughs> and <laughs> go over and subscribe. It's going to help. Um, we also have good comments on YouTube, and I would love to just highlight a comment. Uh, I don't think there's a ton of things to discuss in it, but it, it was just a weird, interesting comment of the week so someone one of our podcasts up there is for the king's demons which was an early one we did um mm. like, like a couple of years ago now but there is a bit where we sort of talk about um you know the iron maiden in in the king's demons and uh sort of the oh. torture and peter davison maybe in terms of like an evil plot succeeding sort of getting his head cut off um and that actually happens in a big finish adventure sorry to spoil it but it's called Necromantia. And it, the weird coincidence is that I just listened to this wow. big finish like last week. And this person just listened to our podcast and made a reference and says it's Ethan Melton. And he says, a scene where the fifth doctor gets his head sliced off like in Necromantia. And I'm like, boom, like, whoa, crazy wow. stuff going on here. Talk about head cannon. Hey, um, <laughs> So the fifth, so he actually literally gets his head separated from his body and doesn't regenerate. It happens. It happens. It doesn't regenerate. How does he get out of that one? Well, you're going to have to listen to Big Finish (laughs) the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, if if, Big Finish, (laughs) Big Finish the untelevised Doctor Who adventure, I should say. It's it's a very very extensive. I was going to say a very extensive podcast where they do live action Doctor Who. Uh, they've been doing it since before podcasts were a thing uh, wow well we should definitely add that to our growing list of big finishes that we talk about on the show that I really want to listen to uh, and yeah good one good one good yeah, choice yeah that one actually has um, obviously Peter Davison it's mm. part of the Perry and Aramem storyline uh, mm. which uh, spans a number of big finishes and it's a very unusual adventure I'll say that not just for the reason that the doctor gets his head cut off but there's Perry is interesting. It's interesting to hear uh, Perry written sort of like a proper 19 year old um, college student. And hmm. I think sort of people who write Perry sometimes forget um, to give her a little bit more sort of American girlism. And that's full on here. Right. And this is also like the episode where they um, reveal her hometown or at least where she went Ooh. to school, which I believe is Baltimore. So, oh, okay. 
Interesting right. price. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> anyway. that's where Nicola Bryant's accent came from. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bought it straight from Baltimore. I would have recognized it easily. Um, yeah. All right. It's the South Croydon uh, part of Baltimore, <laughs> certainly. Um, wow. All right. So that's that's that. Uh, obviously, we're also on Instagram. We're also at Pull to Open sixty three, uh, and of course on TikTok at Pull to Open. TikTok still going strong. We just did our third live. Had a great discussion, and what we've what we're going to start doing on TikTok lives, which we do every week before we tape the podcast. We're going to start attacking some of those uber concepts that come on in that come up in the podcast so something that's come up recently a few times has been what constitutes a companion because when we were talking about revolution of the daleks Hmm. is robertson a companion now because he he journeyed in the tardis TARDIS, a couple times Mm -hmm. um arguably but interesting we're going to be talking about that more because dr dr wardrobe uh is is also a you know a question there's a big question about whether yep. the kids and the mom and that are companions they were described as companions by doctor who magazine uh which i think was going maybe right. going a little too far to tease the story um but you know they talked about cyril being the youngest ever companion uh but they don't travel in the tardis but they do go through dimensions anyway We'll we'll get into all of that, but it is a very meaty question, and the randomizer is throwing us some very interesting uh, examples. I think this all started because of the policeman in Black Orchid, um, and uh, you know the question of whether <laughs> their travel, their short hop in the TARDIS, should count. Um, so yeah, we'll yeah. be debating that on TikTok Live next Sunday. Yes, I think, I think we're going to need to like narrow down like the key episodes that zero in mm-hmm. on the dilemmas here. And I'm scared of the randomizer now myself because I just realized we're probably daring it to take us to the Daleks master plan. <laughs> we really are, yes. With Sarah Kingdom. Uh, uh-huh. the, the ultimate question of like, is she was always counted as a companion, but should she be? Because um, yeah. it's all within one story. I don't know. Anyway, we also got interesting comments on TikTok and I'm very curious to hear the backstory of the one that you've pulled out, Pete, because this is a comment <laughs> that uh, gets into some interesting headcanon. It is. Honestly, I'm bringing this up. Well, I'm just going to read the comment and I'll tell you why I'm bringing it up. So <laughs> we have a TikTok comment of the week and it's on one of our or- videos on Black Orchid. And there's a you know, Black Orchid fun episode, lots of great interaction between all the companions there's obviously been a lot of shipping of companions in the Davison era, mm-hmm. and this comment speaks exactly to that. So the comment is from the Scottish nerd, great handle, and uh, the Scottish, Scottish nerd, nerd asks, isn't it canon? I know, dirty word in Doctor Who. That's in his comment in parentheses. Uh, but isn't it canon that Nissa and Tegan get together? And he has some creative spelling for Nissa and Tegan, yeah. but we'll overlook that. Um <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. It, uh, let me be clear. One, uh, let me answer the question directly first. It's not. It's no, definitely not I, canon. But... Unless I missed a Fifth Doctor story. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this is well, in Big Finish. Like, I don't know. Big, if, if they did it in Big Finish, we don't really know. I don't think they've done it in Big Finish. <laughs> is uh, there like a but... Big Finish After Dark series? <laughs> now, but I've I've seen this. This has come up. I think even in a few other comments on our on our TikTok. Um, so uh, I'm. 
I want to sort of throw a lot of cold water on this as much as the imagery might be fun. It's it's a little bit like like my the ultimate thing that that I think uh, negates this point of view is mm. when Nissa leaves in Terminus. Yes, there the goodbye between her and Tegan. I mean, that is not what you would expect between people who mean so much to each other and are lovers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They're best friends. They're bonded through their connection with the Doctor. Um, you know, certainly they love each other as friends, but in my mind, that's that's pretty much it. You know, and I, I think that's fine, right? Like it's fine to ship, and you can obviously, as a fan, you know, see the see the show. I'm not telling anyone don't see the show you don't want to see. If you want to see that and that's your thing, go ahead. But I think taking it a step further and making it something official or even sort of semi unofficial in the show. Um, doesn't doesn't really doesn't really add anything, you know. You can have your own Doctor Who in your mind, um, but I, I just there's clearly no intent for this, and I do think it's okay for just relationships to be like a little more conventional, right? Like best friends yeah. are a thing, and that is still very meaningful, right? It's like people trying to read all this sort of hanky panky that went on in the TARDIS, and yes, they did go there in the new series for sure, mm. but. It, it, you don't really need to get to the lover aspect of Doctor Who, whether it's the Doctor and a companion or companions with each other, for those relationships not to be deep and not to be meaningful and not to really resonate. And I think it is okay for people who are clearly written as friends to just stay friends. And that's my view. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I will say that uh, this, this brings up something that we didn't discuss last week about uh, Revolution of the Daleks is the the revelation within that that Captain Jack had his own suite uh, in, in the TARDIS <laughs> with, was it a cocktail bar? Was it a pool? I can't remember what he said he had in that suite. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't remember either, but yeah. yeah. That was that was not confirmed. Now, that that would almost certainly be canon that there was uh, Captain Jack hanky-panky on the TARDIS, but probably with a stream of, you know, historical strays who he'd picked up uh during the adventures. I don't know when that would have been, when he would have had a suite, but uh, you know, that's sort of a nice interjection of potential headcanon there. Well, I could definitely fill in like when that would have happened. That would have Mm. happened with the ninth doctor, obviously. And I I like the idea that between the end of the doctor dances and the beginning of Boomtown, Hmm. there has been a lot of time that has passed. And it's actually very clear. It's almost explicit that a lot of time has passed because Jack is wearing something completely different. His familiarity with Rose and the Doctor at that point is so close. Um, you remember all the flirtiness that Rose mm. and Jack had. That's gone. Now they're just friends. Mm. And they seem like they've been friends for a while. So mm-hmm. in, in my mind, there's there was like perhaps a couple of seasons of adventures. And I know there's at least been books set in this era. Um, I don't know if they, you know, Eggleston has only recently come back to the show and I right. you know there's all the issues with Barrowman and stuff so I don't know if that's ever going to be filled in with big finishes but certainly there's been stuff written there so um, and sure he had a suite yeah. <laughs> sure. he was a well, prime time companion you could imagine maybe one you know one uh, dark and starry night uh, Jack and Rose uh, you know got, <laughs> got all that tension out of their relationship and maybe Nessa and Tegan did too maybe you know uh, back in the, but you, this, this is the great thing about Doctor Who. You can make your own headcanon. You can make your own slash fiction. Whatever you want to do, uh, you may have to explain 
uh, why we why Tegan is so into Sir Robert in Black Orchid when there are two Nissas. I mean, <laughs> surely if Tegan fancies Nissa, she would be so into the Nissa and Anne combo uh, that that she wouldn't even have time for Sir Robert. Uh, but or maybe she's over it by that point. Uh, anyway, do 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 comment again, please, Scottish nerd, because I'd love to know. Uh, where where you got that from? Perhaps we're missing something. Uh, perhaps we're missing a big finish. I don't know, but but uh, let's keep that conversation going. Yeah, please keep the conversation going at Pull to Open on TikTok. Be one of our followers, one of our ten thousand now three hundred followers, and uh, watch for those lives every Sunday, uh, happening around twelve thirty Eastern time. Alrighty. Well, there's not a lot of other business, but there was an interview with Russell T. Davies in, I think, GQ. Correct. To be wrong. Yes. Yes. Um, and he doesn't add a lot in terms of the new information, but he did come around, uh, basically confirm some things. One, that there's more money now for mm-hmm. Doctor Who. But because not of 10 the million. Plus. Not right. 10 million an episode. Less than 10 million. Yeah, exactly. And he all but confirms that there will be spinoffs. I mean, I think we can almost take it as confirmation because he has a lot of um, comments around sort of cinematic or franchise universes. He has a lot of praise, for example, for Star Trek and what they're doing. And he specifically calls out that they're doing so much content now. There's essentially new Star Trek every single week of the year. So you get like a total of roughly around 50 plus episodes across all of their properties every year. And that it seems like he's basically laying down as like, that's, that's our goal. That's Mm -hmm. what we aspire to do that. And whether it's, you know, monster centric episodes, whether it's stuff like the Sarah Jane, he actually talks about the spinoffs. And I, I think this comment that he makes in the, in the article comes across as a little arrogant, but I actually think he's totally entitled to make it because he said like, well, we had spinoffs when he was last time he was in charge and those spinoffs suffered when he left. And that's true. And I don't think that's him being arrogant. I think that's him acknowledging his responsibility as the showrunner and that, or, or rather the showrunner's responsibility. Like there needs to be a steward of the universe. Yes. Right, with like Kevin Feige in Marvel. And uh, I think there's no doubt in anyone's head as if Kevin Feige ever left that job without a proper sort of successor, mm-hmm. um, the, the universe would suffer. It and would. so I think that's basically what he's getting at. Um, so looking forward to it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's going to be an interesting era of Doctor Who that we're getting into. And I honestly like... The, almost in the same way I was uncorking the champagne when the new series came out back in 2005. Mm-hmm. Like this is, he's thinking about Dr. Who for the next decade and further. And that fills me with so much confidence and joy. Yeah. He says, I thought the streaming platforms are ready. The spinoffs are ready, uh, which is interesting. You almost see him mm. going a little too far in that yeah. direction. The spinoffs are ready. And then he ropes it back in. Oh, I always believed in spinoffs when I was there. Um, uh, you know, the spinoffs declined when I left, and I can see why. Uh, after 2008, money became scarce. So, you know, he's oh, he's, too, yeah. he's pulling back the curtain a little bit. But but I'll, I'll take issue with your saying RTD isn't arrogant. I think he is, and I think he revels <laughs> in it. Uh, I think that's, that's one of his strengths, is that he's arrogant. And and you, you also kind of get it in here. Like, RTD is such an unimpeachable Doctor Who fan. You know, we know that. But he says something about the classic series, and I'm not sure if it's in this interview. He's basically saying, 
that w- one of the reasons he wanted to come back and uh, wanted to come along in the first place in 2005 um, was that he never thought that the show had been done properly. Mm. Thank you. Big, big fan of the classic, such a big fan that he's throwing in Mavic Chen into the, the, the new series yeah. that he's writing right now. Um, you know, really old school William Hartnell reference, but never thought it was done properly. And there's, there's a point in the writer's tale where he talks to Michael Grade, of course, you know, the guy responsible for Doctor Who's uh, death or many almost deaths in the 80s. Um, Permanent hiatus. Yes, and, and Grade said to RTD, like, oh, you must hate me. And, and you know, RTD said back to him, no, you were right. It was shit. Like, he's not <laughs> yeah. he's not afraid to really call out the show when, when it goes bad. And I think that's And, and to be clear, he was, he's, he's kind of referring to the late era there yeah. of the classic series. Like, he yeah. doesn't think the whole thing was shit, but it is like, I think there's a widespread sort of um, acknowledgement of exactly what you're saying on on all true fans, and that it's like I've talked about my friend Steve before on the podcast, where mm-hmm. he he actually grew up with the novels, and uh, so for a lot of the Doctor Who adventures, he saw he read the Target novelizations first, and then saw the show, and it's almost like a downgrade, right? Even yeah. though the show came first, it's like, oh, you in your mind when you hear something, when you read something like the Power of Crawl and these giant tentacles you know, coming out of a pipe or something like that. You're just like, wow, that sounds so awesome. And then on screen, it's like <laughs> this fiberglass thing or whatever that the Clackner's clearly like making it move on his own. Yeah. And you almost have to see Doctor Who, what's happening on screen in the classic series as like an icon for mm. what what is really sort of happening. And we've kind of talked about this a couple of times in the podcast where it's like the show is this, the the it's almost like the... The, the stage play of what really happened in exactly. the cosmos in the future, right? Exactly. So. I, uh, <laughs> I've said this in the past that I think that it's the best thing to look at. The way, best way to look at it is, you know, the BBC was given the license to the Doctor's Adventures by the Doctor right. um, <laughs> because yes. he's such a fan of Britain. Of course, he wants to see. Uh, this actually dovetails nicely with something that Matt Smith said in uh, the interview. Uh, that he did for Dr. Widow and the Wardrobe, I was recently reading, uh, for the for the show. And he said something like, you know, who who wouldn't want to be Doctor Who on Christmas? Well, first of all, he calls him calls the character Doctor Who, which is interesting. Uh, <laughs> but but secondly, it's like who wouldn't want to be Doctor Who on Christmas? You you sit you know, you unwrap all your presents, you have a great dinner, and then on television there's you. There's an adventure starring you. <laughs> and I love, I love this idea that the doctor was watching the show um and mm. that he's watching this sort of BBC production of his first seven <laughs> regenerations or the first seven that he can remember. Um, and he's like, oh, that's, that's great. It didn't quite happen like that. It's, you know, <laughs> those, those monsters look a bit rubbery. Um, not sure they're going to really scare anyone, but you know, Daleks are spot on. <laughs> Daleks are very accurate. Exactly. <laughs> and maybe, maybe you should just give it a rest for 15 years and try again. Yeah, exactly. Next are better. And you know, yeah, 15 years, handful of heartbeats to a time Lord. Yeah, exactly. So He's like, I'll, I'll send in Billy Shipton to uh, get, get the BBC more, <laughs> more money. Uh, there <laughs> you selling go. DVDs. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. More headcanon folks. You more get head, it right here. Put that, you fill in that bingo card. <laughs> All righty. It's time, closing I think. Out, closing out. Yep. Closing out the other business, and we can avoid it no longer. It's time <laughs> to talk about the doctor, the widow, and the wardrobe. 
And we always start with TLDW, too long, didn't watch too long Doctor Who. Uh, or in this case, if you're watching uh, A Christmas, it might be Too Drunk Doctor Who. Um, huh. Which is certainly my first, you know, my, my issue, as I mentioned last week, with The Doctor and the Widow of the Wardrobe is that this sort of passed over my head um, when I watched it on Christmas Day 2011, uh, possibly because... Uh, I, I maybe had a little too sh- much sherry by then. I don't know. I don't know what the <laughs> what the story was, but it's entirely possible. So, yeah, I think I think for this week only, we'll call it too drunk, Doctor Who. Uh, but Pete, you are not too drunk because you are. All right. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's just change it. Let's an extra D, the double D, like the double D Daleks we talked about last week. Pretend this is vodka. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Pete, you are not too drunk for TLDW. You are you are ready. You are on the spot. Uh, gotcha. we, we allot- I'm not going to say whether I'm hungover or not, but I am <laughs> not too drunk. <laughs> we allot, as you know, 10, no, no, one minute. But <laughs> I've, I've been hitting the cherry already myself. No, I haven't. Uh, one minute per new series episode, which is what this is. Is it a little bit longer right. as a Christmas special? I didn't, uh, I didn't I look at the runtime. Actually, I didn't even look at the runtime. I yeah. think it's not as it's not as long as even the Daleks. Definitely doesn't feel as long. No, um, but it. I don't think it's much long. Yeah. Okay. Here it is. Sixty minutes. It's actually a full sixty minutes. So it's okay. like I'll get one second for every minute if it's. A minute. <laughs> so would you would you like one minute fifteen seconds? If you're offering, I, I feel like <laughs> I, I clearly need it after the last couple of performances on TLDW. <laughs> so I'm not going to say no to it. All right. Uh, well, let's do it because this so much of this story is about the time vortex and forgiveness and putting right what has gone wrong and and oh all of that don't, stuff. So don't put too much pressure on. I got to get all the themes <laughs> in there now too. What? <laughs> all right. Well, let's get going just as soon as I pull up my stopwatch okay. on the official so time. The official pull to open summary of the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe without notes in one minute and fifteen seconds, starting now. So the Doctor's on a spaceship, and it explodes, and at the last second he gets a spacesuit on that's flying away from the spaceship. He crashes in 1941, London, and he's befriended by this woman named Madge, who takes him back to his TARDIS. And then uh, a few years later in, uh, actually, then it's 1941, so that was a little earlier, um, her husband is about to be shot down in the war, uh, is apparently shot down. The doctor uh, goes to where her and her two children are now uh, basically going to celebrate Christmas. She's not telling them that her her husband's dead because uh, she doesn't want to ruin Christmas for them. So he makes the place awesome, tries to give them a really nice Christmas. He gives a special present that is actually a portal to another world. And one of the kids opens it early and goes in. And it's this sort of winter wonderland. But then this thing, uh, this Christmas ornament that grows from one of the trees, cracks open. It's an egg that cratches a tree creature and the tree creature leads the kid to this tower where all the trees are going to turn all their mental energy to because they're about to be vaporized by this Androzani team that's going to like turn them into fuel or something. The doctor follows them and her, their mother follows them. They all get together at this tower. They use uh, Madge's mental energy to go back to Christmas time! Day and uh, her husband. <laughs> hey, yeah, that, that, I'll take that. 
16, Close so, enough. No, you know, what was that, 76 seconds? Maybe? <laughs> you, you got a few extra seconds, didn't yeah. quite get to didn't the, the denouements. Uh, would, would you like to just give us an extra five seconds on the denouement? The doctor is convinced to go back to uh, Amy and Rory and tell him he's not dead, and uh, he cries. Yes, he cries real human tears, uh, and it's nothing to do with Amy's water gun uh, that she uh, has ready for Christmas carolers. Yeah. Um, yeah, good, good job, good job. Otherwise, I think uh, you know you, you got a little, uh, you know, like like the kids, you you may have been a little wrapped up in what the doctor was doing in the house, um, yeah. and all, all, all of the presents that he provides. He really, you know, the, there's big sort of uh, you know, and it downloads comics from the future. I don't know when to stop vibes in this episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, I love those scenes. I'll just say that up front. I, I went the the doctor uh, making the house kid friendly and installing the lemonade taps, and then yeah. saying and then saying the words "I know" when the kids kind of gasp at it. Um, well, and Matt Matt Smith is so good. He really is. That I mean, he he is the uncle that you always wanted. He's super fun. Like he, this is as I was sort of saying in the pre-show. This is peak Moffat. I mean, they've been working together, Moffat and Smith at this point, for basically two series. Yes. This is the second Christmas special. Everyone has hit their stride and they are it's full on. And so then you also get the full on vision of Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who, which is Doctor Who is a fairy tale. And everyone mm-hmm. is leaning into it and loving it. And Matt Smith is definitely one of the best things about this episode. He's got amazingly hilarious dialogue throughout he's got very thoughtful and emotive dialogue as well but those scenes one after another with all the rooms and the kids i mean mm. what a treat and you know my daughter uh you know spoiler alert for what my kids thought of it they really liked it my daughter probably liked it even more because it's like she's exactly that age she's nine years old and when i asked her what she thought of the episode she the, the lemonade thing is one of the first things she talked about it's just such a great kid thing it really is and there was supposed to be i don't know if you came across this in your research there was supposed to be an extra room uh the the house that uh, the doctor slash caretaker mm. takes over by the way it's lovely that he's called the caretaker ahead of the capaldi episode um mm-hmm. but there was supposed to be a haunted house in the basement right yeah i did i read about that yeah and, uh, Wise choice to excise that. It sounded like it sort of sounds a little tonally, totally <laughs> yeah, weird. I mean, they could have pulled it off, but I mean, it's weird. sort of you. You sort of have to go an extra stretch to say, like you know, you you're you're trying to get these kids happy because of the sad news that they're about to receive about their dad. Well, does a haunted house really, really do that? I mean, it gives them spooks and scares and all of that, which Doctor Who does itself. Uh, but maybe, it, yeah, maybe given. Given the bad news they're about to receive, probably not the best thing. Um, yeah, I think I think it's the right call to get rid of that mm. for exactly the reason you said. I could see why they would do it, not just for a fun thing, but it's kind of a mislead. Yes. So to have kind of a mislead of like, oh, is the haunted house going to be taken over by some monster, and that's the that's the story. Yeah. Uh, potentially, you might think that and keep you even a little more on your toes. But good point. Good point. Um, in but, that but sense, to, I think it's not good enough to sort of include. To 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 your point of of how good Smith is in this in this story, he actually has an ad libbed line that Moffat loves so much that he kept in, which is when uh, Cyril, the the younger child, uh, gets away and you know 
makes it look like he's sleeping in his bed by putting the teddy bear and the the blanket over the teddy bear and and that that the doctor reacts with oh that teddy bear and that blanket trick you know so cl- damn you so uh, <laughs> i think he says he's good he, oh he's good <laughs> well, that was charity right yes like he- He's just like, oh man, and that, that was, was Matt Smith. That was Matt Smith's line. So that's a measure of like how much he was into it, and particularly the role of the caretaker in the house. Um, but we shouldn't go too far into this without recognizing that, uh, as I'm sure all fifteen of you pull to open super fans who've actually listened to our very first episode, <laughs> which was about all of the Christmas stories. As you know, we have actually commented on this before yeah and uh we had which which is interesting because i don't remember re-watching it for that episode but no, apparently i did yeah so funny funny uh, funnily enough our very first pull to open podcast was about all the christmas specials and we did sort of rapid fire reviews of them from memory um we hadn't we hadn't watched them all or whatever in prep uh <laughs> very mm-hmm. very seat of the pants our yep. first one, but it's funny. It, it, this is sort of more more revealing about us, I think, than the episode. In that, my I, even though I had sort of a couple minutes of commentary, I zeroed in on the fan nitpick, which I will zero in on again. <laughs> by the way, um, yeah. But I mean, I, I sort of stand by what I originally said, which is uh, not the nitpick, but I originally said like I think it's very, it's probably the most family friendly Christmas episode. Definitely, I've yeah. seen this multiple times with my family. This might be the Christmas episode I've seen the most. Hmm. Uh, so I'm very familiar with the beats, uh, which surprises me. I didn't squeeze it all into TLDW, but whatever. <laughs> but, <laughs> too much. Um, you're too close to it. And I, I had the nitpick about. The, the the trees for starters, but also mostly the Androzani stuff. Like the Androzani, the, the Androzani mention really bothers me as a fan because it's so mm-hmm. random. Like mm-hmm. it's basically like just citing an old episode for no reason. Yes, and and it's just just to do it because there's there's virtually nothing that connects the events of this episode or the people in it with the very rich sort of Earth colony gone awry universe of the caves of Androzani, mm. which is certainly an episode worthy of a sequel. Uh, this is not it. This is just, <laughs> let's pick a random planet out of the doctor who canon and just say, that's what, what well, this isn't that planet, but it is related to the planet. And you could have just as easily said the, Hey, it's, it's, I don't know, or is it Iridius or Exelon or, or Clom, you know, like it, it doesn't mm. really matter like what planet you cite. And I think this is just, thinks it's fan service but it's just fan irritation service really like just make up something new and have it be that i mean why why did you need to reference something in the old old classic series and then well, add to it it was just kind of extraneous. i think i think i can probably answer that which is case of androzani is probably one of the shows that casual fans might have seen um or at right. least heard of it is so reputed to be you know clearly the the fifth doctor's best adventure possibly the best doctor who ever um so i can possibly. see how it's definitely ranked uh, first yeah. ever in the poll uh yeah. the 2009 poll anyway go on the 2000 yeah not 2014 for sure uh doctor who magazine but anyway so so i can see why moffat might think that an androzani mention would would cut through more than some of the other classic mentions. Um, but yeah, to connect this in any way, you really have to do some headcanon about uh, they uh, decided that 
uh, storing all that Spectrox was was a bad idea, and uh, they're going to burn trees for fuel instead. Yeah, well, uh, they call them Androzani trees, and I guess yeah, it's uh. <laughs> they're sen- Androzani trees are sentient. I mean, I don't want to unpack this too much because it's clearly just thrown in for whatever. Yeah. Um, but they're they're it's a tree farm. It's an easy line to miss, but the, it's a tree farm. Uh, the people, uh, the what are they? Are they mercenaries, miners, security? I don't know what they are. They're just driving the platform, uh, robot thingy. Yeah. They're for they say they're from Androzani Major, which which implies this planet is not Androzani Major. But right. is it then in the Androzani system? Because these are Androzani trees, but I guess you could presumably grow a farm anywhere technically so it yeah. couldn't even be further away so i mean you know again i don't think it's even worth the, the amount of brain power i'm, I'm really? throwing at it right now it's just you know random reference planet trees etc although i will question like if this is a farm and you're growing sentient trees how can you in good conscience melt them down i mean i guess presumably you could say they just don't know they're sentient um but Still, it just seems like a pretty inefficient way to get fuel, you know, yeah. future technology notwithstanding. Exactly. How exactly does that work? Don't think about it too much. Uh, otherwise, it will hurt your head. I don't think you're intended <laughs> to think it too much. Uh, but yeah, harvesting by acid rain. Uh, well, li- is... They literally say they're melting them. You know, they're not yeah. burning them. They're going to melt the trees and then it's going to turn them into super awesome fuel. The great, the greatest fuel in the universe, I believe he says at some point. Mm. Yeah. In, uh, <laughs> I've just looked at the, uh, the TARDIS wiki and, um, the, the planet in the Dr. Winner wardrobe is described as planet. <laughs> so that's how I was hoping there was some like attendant media that told us exactly where it was, but no, well, I wanted- it's just planet. I also want to see like greatest fuels in the universe ranked, right? So you have Androzani trees, you have Jethric, yeah, uh, you have trisilicate, like which you know this this comes up as a trope, like in in sci-fi, not just Doctor Who. Uh, you know this this it's kind of, it's your MacGuffin essentially, like uh, to some extent, like uh, you know every episode has some, not every episode, but every episode that has this idea has a fuel that everyone kind of wants. It could be a political thing, like in the monsters of Pel- the monster of Peladon, or just something a little more uh, of a ticking time bomb like there is in, in this one, right? Um, so, so it drives the plot forward. So in uh, so the, the Androzani stuff is set in the year uh, 5345. Now that is right. way after uh, Caves of Androzani, am I right? Well, no, yes and no. I mean, I think originally people thought the Caves of Androzani was probably um, somewhere like in the 25th century or or thereabouts. Um, It's clearly an Earth colony because Earth is mentioned in the Caves of Androzani. Hmm. But no, no year is given. So if you want to be consistent in Doctor Who's universe, you would probably then backdate Caves of Androzani to this adventure, to 5345. And I believe the A History chronicles the books mm. um, that try to place every single Doctor Who adventure in the same universe does that. It basically puts Caves of Androzani uh, like 100 years or something before this adventure, which is like, that's a reasonable thing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely. Definitely, the burning and melting of the trees makes no sense. I think uh, I, I wasn't that bothered by it. Um, 
this time around. Uh, but to you, you've got your big nitpick about this story <laughs> out of the way, and yeah. I, I think it's time for mine. <laughs> Apparently, for, first of all, thank thank you for going back to the original Christmas episode and finding out what the hell I said about this thing. Uh, <laughs> Apparently, I found it forgettable on first watch, uh, but it's better now. I don't know how I decided it was better now. Oh, uh, I think you you had said you were pleased that I liked it based on Smith's performance. Yeah. And you're pleased you, there was a good episode here because you didn't really remember it that well. Yes. And I had a... I still have this, a grubby feeling of too many British things packaged into something American. Um <laughs> Narnia under the Christmas tree, Cyril as Harry Potter. Now, this time around, I was okay with the British stereotypes. And there are many of them, and we'll get into <laughs> all of them. And all of the references, like, you know, Alexander Armstrong and their RAF guy, we'll get into that. Um, but the thing that I had a bad time with this time was was Cyril. Really? And yes, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Maurice Cole. Like, I'm I'm... I'm so a I'm a I'm a Doctor Who guy through and through. Like I don't believe in in punishing the weak or you know uh, or anything like that. You know weakness definitely a a theme in this. You know he's weak. You mean he's a child? All of that stuff. Um, but when I look at Cyril, I just want to steal his lunch money and stuff him into a locker. <laughs> I and I I was never a You're bully cruel. at school. I I just it's the problem is Cyril never be is cruel or cowardly. Chris. Never cruel or cowardly. Um, and, uh, but I will also never give in to this <laughs> very, very Good lazy, answer. very lazy stereotype that Cyril is. And that the problem is that Cyril is not really anything more than a pair of glasses, uh, right. in, in a, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, dressing gown that he's wearing. I'm sure that was an intentional reference. Um, it's exactly the same colors as Arthur Dent's in the TV show. Anyway, of course I would mention that. Um, <laughs> but he's, I mean, it's pretty conventional colors. I'll just say that, but anyway, go on. Yeah. In fact, for most of the episode, Cyril is, uh, has no one to talk to, right? So he's just sort of wandering through this forest alone and he doesn't have any dialogue and, and he doesn't have anything really. To, mm. to to mark him out as a kid, he doesn't feel like a real child to me. He feels like a just sort of a stand-in for like oh, we're supposed to think that he's cute and sweet, and we're supposed to go like ah, oh, you know, like when he folds his arms and said no, you know, mummy will be here, like you know, I get maybe and maybe this is the difference between you know uh, having having children and not having children. I don't know. I I just my re response to Cyril is he is he's just a lazy, cutesy, two dimensional stereotype. Real kids are not like that. Like he doesn't have a thing. He doesn't have a quirk. Right. He doesn't have something he's into. He doesn't have anything to hang on to to make him a character to make him unique in any way. Yeah, you're uh, you're not wrong. I would say I can I for, I forgive a lot of things I would normally not forgive an episode. Right or a Moffat episode of doing and I will give you um, again the, the credit for identifying the problem with the character but I, I'm okay with, with it echoing what it's trying to echo without much substance there because I think that's a lot of what this episode's doing right with you mentioned the Narnia stuff which is you know it's very superficial but it it looks nice it's, it's a cute sort of wrapping on a Doctor Who adventure 
to to model it after the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Now, Cyril, I, I he's, you could argue Harry Potter. Maybe that's what they were going for. I for me, it echoes the kid from the Christmas Story or a Christmas uh, Story. I forget what yeah. the, the, the you know that movie. It's sort of a yeah, yeah. Uh, semi classic from I think the early eighties, but it's actually set in like the sixties or something like that. <laughs> my first and, American girlfriend, it was one of the first movies she made me watch to understand America. So. Yeah. And my kids, like I actually <laughs> never watched the Christmas story growing up, but I did watch it with my kids. And we watch it set, sort of semi regularly at Christmas and it's a fun mm. thing to check out. And, mm. um, but to your point, I, I will say the kid in that movie has something he's into and there's exactly. more depth there and you can, you he can wants a gun. Really right? that, that's the whole thing. He wants exactly. This, uh, he wants a little BB gun. Yeah. And, this Cyril is clearly like he's he's window he's he's cute window dressing and he's a plot device because he gets the whole thing going by opening the present and then goes to the planet and yes there there's there's a good ch- like if this was a two hour adventure again I don't know if it would have been improved a lot so I I don't know if I would advocate for it but you clearly need more fleshing out of some of the ideas to really have it have some substance. And one of them is the kids who really don't have much agency. I'll say this for mm. Cyril. At least he's memorable with those glasses. And he has at least one really good line when they, it's at the very beginning where he's instructed <laughs> to give these elaborate, um, you know, uh, recap of where Madge is going with the yes. doctor. And the husband comes in and it's like, where did mommy go? He just says out. Which, Not just out. <laughs> it's, yeah. just, it's very, it's a wonderful, like, yes, that's exactly what a kid would do. Like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm just I'm just ditching all of that important information you told me to relay. Uh, so I, I, found, I found him more memorable than Lily. Lily, I sort of really struggled as I was making my notes for the show. What is she about? What did she do? Like, even though she's the older sister, hmm. there isn't room for her. You yeah. know, she's not... Um, filled with the angst and and the, the conflict, the central conflict in Madge's mind. Um, you know, she's Lily is just one of the other kids. And again, there's, there's just no agency with the kids. They just are there as props. They're there to kind of miss their dad and have big eyes when they sort of start to suspect he's gone yeah. and sort of get the plot going, but they don't, they don't really do much other than that. Yeah, other than sort of react to what the doctor is saying, you know, before yeah, give him someone to talk to, doctor. Yeah, which is just it. It just is so lazy. Like all you needed to do was add a line, and I'm actually writing it in my head as as we were just you, you were just talking there, Pete. I actually wrote a thing for Cyril that would make him more, uh, more pop more as a character. What if he was really into planes? Hmm. Right, and that's why he opens the box because he thinks there's like a giant model aircraft in there or something. Right. That's just a line of dialogue you could throw in. And then that gives you the big, wonderful reveal at the end of like, his dad brought him a plane for Christmas. And, you know, you, you sort of, you would have increased sympathy for him throughout right. because like, he's about to find out that his dad died in a plane. Oh my God. You know, the thing that he's really into is going to be his downfall. Yeah. Uh, that poor kid. Like I'm even just thinking about it now, like I'm already feeling bad for Cyril instead of wanting to bully him. Um, if so- only you were script editor for the Moffat era, you could have stepped in. Yeah. That would have done something. Yeah. That would have been a little more. Then you don't need a lot more here. And honestly, you don't need a lot, even with the existing script. I, I will say again, like my, my general review of this is that like, it's a, it's a Christmas treat and it's wrapped up perfectly. And the ingredients are all there. You know, you have, I mentioned Smith, he's at his sort of most Willy Wonka-esque, uh, you know, totally. persona. Very, very um, good. 
but he also like the, the one of the best scene probably in my view is just after he's shown everyone all the treats, all the rooms, and just yes. like here's I'm such a great you know fun person, and then it's almost seemingly pulls a 180 because mm. Madge's reaction is very like I, I don't want this you know in that moment, and the the thoughtful exchange he has with Smith is like the, yeah. the it's clearly Moffat worked hard on these lines. They're perfect. Yeah. And the way Matt Smith delivers his very wise line, you know, you, you, you yeah. feel bad because they're going to feel bad and yes. it breaks your heart. Yeah. You know, you don't want them to feel good now. Yeah. Um, and it's so wise and sympathetic. Like and that, that he's line, showing there. Not, yeah. No, it's so so it's so applicable, I think, to to life in general. Like it reminds me of a line in The Good Place where they sort of ta- tackle existentialism. I don't know if you've you've watched The Good Place, but Ted Danson's character has you know he's immortal, but then he has this existential crisis uh, mm. and a midlife crisis and wonderful episode, and then uh, you know uh, Eleanor Shellstrop gets to deliver this amazing speech about how there's a little bit of sadness in every happy moment because you know that happy moment's going to end, you know. So it doesn't even have mm. to be about uh, that the fact that they're going to find out that their dad died. Uh, it's it's more than that. It's like the it's it's a guide for life in general, and who who would know that more than a thousand year old time lord, right? Yeah, um, lost so much, lost so, so much. much, and and that's sort of the undercurrent of this episode is the Doctor is uh, missing his companion or missing any companions, which is sort of why you can read a lot into like why is he going so over the top for these kids? Well, partly mm-hmm. because he's doing a good turn for Madge because she did one for him years earlier. Um, but I think also it's the sense of like, he has to be clever and he has to have people witnessing him be clever and and special and Santa Claus esque. And he's just, he's going to go so over the top um, because of the sadness, you know, mm. because he needs humans because he, you know, becomes more humany womany to use, I think, Moffat's most ill-judged line in this episode. Um, <laughs> you know, it's sort of, but there it, is a progression with him. Again, I, I'm, I'm forgiving a lot of that because mm. the human immunity, I, I think it generally those lines and parts of this, and overall, it doesn't really take itself too seriously. Yes. And I do see the, the human immunity lines as kind of getting it out of his system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, we've, we've done the timey-wimey again and again. <laughs> we've come back to it, and it's like, he does this thing, and I get well. Actually, they do come back to it later with Day of the Doctor because you have right. to because tenants there. Right. Um, but I, I do like that it's okay. We're going over the top with it, and yes, mm. <laughs> we're just just this once, guys. We're just going to get it out out of the way. Mm-hmm. So that but was yeah, fun. absolutely. In that scene, you can see all of the sadness, a thousand years of sadness of yeah. of losing companions, um, of having them age uh, prematurely. Shout out to Sarah Kingdom. Um, and, you know, just yeah, losing them through your own uh, ineptitude and your own inability yeah. to emote with them. So, yeah, the, there's so much buried into that line. And it's wonderfully kind of uh, uh, bookended by the the prequel and also the, the denouement of the Doctor of Woodrow and Wardrobe, both sort of hinting at his uh, missing of Amy. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that. So yes. let's talk about the prequels first. Yes. So now, that's a 
uh, you know, it's just a few minutes long and it yes. essentially shows what happened right before the spaceship exploded and how the doctor huh. um, exploded it. And he calls Amy and uh, leaves a message for her. Now, yes, I'm, I'm going to stop you right there because yeah. I, I, I see your complaint. <laughs> and I, I did just watch the prequel last night uh, because you mentioned this. And you're like, well, how does Amy think he's dead? If he called Amy, he's actually calling the TARDIS. You, oh. We cut to the TARDIS where the, the voicemail is being left. And it is actually just the doctor thinking that Amy is still traveling with him. It's still, he's just automatically gone in his head to, oh, I'll call the TARDIS. Amy will be there. So right. it's actually a way to amp up the sadness that she's not, that she's no longer traveling with him. Oh, I didn't get that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe I'm dumb. Or it's, it's not very clear. It's not very clear. Ba- this was badly, yeah, um, badly edited, and it should have been made more clear. And it's there, probably a good thing. It's one, only on the DVD. Yeah, exactly. There's just one cutaway. If you watch it on YouTube, you'll you'll see there's just one cutaway from to the TARDIS to see that's where the um, the message like, is coming out. I get it. And it, mm-hmm. he basically forgets for a second he doesn't have companions. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I got to say, it's funny. I I've, I was watching another episode with my daughter recently that does that better. And it's mm. Partners in Crime. And mm. there's a moment where Tennant is checking out whatever, I guess, an adipose or, or some something. And he's in the TARDIS and he's he's doing something with... And he's like, he just takes a step back. Oh my God, it's blah, blah, blah. And he starts talking and he just looks up and no one's there. No. And he's like, and he just shuts up. And because it's like, who am I talking to? Right. You know, like, and he, and he doesn't even give Martha the respect of saying, "Hey, Martha, come look at this." Like, right. He's he's forgotten her name already, but he knows he's alone. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, doctor. He talks about her later, though. Um, but yeah, it it's does give back. you it gives you a very sweet payoff, and I I wish this has sort of been like maybe the prequel should have been part of the actual show itself, and you know they could have leaned into it because when. He discovers that they've they've set a place for him mm. at Christmas. Oh God, you know hearts melt. Yeah. Oh my Matt God, Smith's eyes not melt. A, not a dry eye in the house. Yeah, I, it, it's such a moment. Even you know my my kids were like that. We were all. I I, think, <laughs> I don't know if Jack's going to listen to this, but <laughs> I think he got up and left the couch. And Uh-oh. he's thirteen year old boy, so yep. give him a break for this. I think he uh-huh. just he might have been. Uh, a little bit teary, and did, I didn't want to. Did it? Did it get it dusty in the room? Me. It probably got dusty yeah, in the room. Right I, I then. know I was. I was choking up for sure. I mean, it did get to, and that's. I mean, and how could you not love this episode for that? I mean, you know, it's like it's it's tugging your heartstrings. It's that's what it's supposed to do. It's Christmas. It's that this is the Doctor's family, mm. and and we talked about how Matt Smith is scene. Matt Smith is really at the top of his game in this story. And I think none more so than in that final scene, which yes. he really gives his everything because you have to play, you know, a thousand year old time Lord suddenly crying, you know, yeah. for not necessarily for the first. Is it? No, it's not the first time. It's, it's not, it's not the no, first time. It's I the think. first time. If you don't count tenant who would just like cry on command, <laughs> I mean, he's famous for that in the gifts now, right? Like he's just crying all over the place. Um, but like but yeah. Matt Smith really, really tugs our heartstrings by eking out that single tear uh, and watch him in that scene. He's just amazing. Yeah. And you might honestly, 
it almost makes me want to forgive the 200 year gap from closing time. Right. <laughs> Which is that, cause then when you even factor that in, it's mm. probably been at least that long for him. You know, yeah. it's been centuries probably since he's cried. Yes. Um, and the fact that he, it, it this brings it out of him is oh my you God. know even bigger if you think about it in that sense that's right and he's yeah. you know it's funny because he's been through all of that and he's been through all of these situations uh you know the 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 trees migrating and the mothership and the reg returning and all of that and none of that squeezed a tear out of him yeah. uh you know stuff that might have squeezed a tear out of us the audience but but now it's like being being missed being being wanted, being you know forgotten, yeah. you know not forgotten, being loved, having a place set for you. Um, and I think I think really that's okay it. because mm. I'll be honest, like all the stuff you just described, I I, I wasn't particularly moved by it just because it was a little by the numbers. Mm. It's it's very predictable. Um, the moment you realize she has to think of him, her husband, to get back, mm. that you know you basically know he's going to be saved at that point, and you, yeah. even if you didn't know from the setup earlier. Uh, and we're thinking that like, you know, it at that point. So, so while there's, you know, that everything's played really well, it's very predictable. And then when you come back around for Amy and Rory, who, if you've been following the show, whether you're no, a fan of the whole show or just this era, like that really gives it weight for mm-hmm. you as the fan. And that's the stuff that's really going to get to you. And it does. Yeah. And it's really yeah. good. And, and so a lot of people have commented, okay. by the way, that 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 should have been Amy and Rory's end. What do you what do you think about that? That like we missed the whole season season seven A, and that's just it. Um, I think the problem with that mm. is then you have to explain why the Doctor never goes to see Amy and Rory again after that Christmas, right? You sort of have to take them out of time with the Weeping Angel uh, to really kind of definitively say this is why the Doctor is never going to see. Amy and Rory again, except in a vision when he regenerates. Yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to, we'll get to season 7A throughout the podcast, but my general sense is the, it was a very unsatisfying end. Did did we, there were a couple decent episodes in that run. Uh, I think a lot of people don't like it. Uh, I think it's definitely a weaker part of the Amy Rory run. But hmm. um, do you definitively have to end or could you have believably made the bolder choice of them just kind of drifting apart, you know, which might've been an interesting thing to explore because they, they mm. sort of, as they talk about in the power of three, you could have almost gone either way with that ending. You know, if you know what I mean, like the power mm. of three and how the theme, themes in that episode, and we'll get to that in the podcast eventually could have, instead of them joining the doctor deciding that, you know what, like we're kind of, we kind of want to be grown ups now. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know and then yeah, you, you've got you your know, come back any time but we're mm. we'll 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 just be here and and then then he kind of you know because i feel like that would resonate with people who maybe grew up with them and are in their 20s and you lose people yeah. and even though you really love them your lives change mm. and mm. and that would have been a better end like you know than them just being lost in time or whatever maybe less sci-fi yeah. but i don't know It'd be, it would have been a bolder choice um, probably would have preferred that. But anyway, back to this episode. Yes. Um, so let's go a little bit more on the cold open. I just want to mention one thing, like the spaceship exploding. Yes, of course, it's a trope. I think it's fine to do. I think it's, you know, start with a bang. This is obviously from the Moffat playbook. Let's hit him over the head really early. 
I think it's shot really well. I w- I'm going to say this something I never thought I would. I admire Moffat's restraint in this <laughs> part of the show where he doesn't to my I don't think he does anyway. There's there's nothing specified about the ship. You could have easily done some Cyberman or Dalek or Ice Warrior cameo and essentially ruined it because then you're kind of as a fan trying to place it uh in into your canon, but also like you're teased with this great thing that you love and then you can't see it again. No, it's just a spaceship exploding. So that's good. And then it, it, it works with established continuity. We already know the doctor can survive for short periods uh-huh. in a, the vacuum of space. And he does, and he puts on the space suit and it leads to this whole um, fun, fun thing with, with Madge later. So I yeah. think all of that is, is handled really well. The dialogue with him and Madge when he lands very it's all I, I'll, i'm gonna praise it and then i'm gonna slant a little bit mm-hmm. it's hilarious love the stuff love that she picks the lock she's super fun um and then there's a police box which is <laughs> it's really funny it's like like the, the, one of the best lines in it is like all right suddenly the last 900 years of travel seem a little less secure now that yes, you fix my she, my TARDIS with a with a hairpin, she picks the lock. The I mean, small nitpick uh, um, uh, with with that <laughs> is the uh, obviously police boxes, and this has been mentioned in the show. Police boxes of the era did not look like the Doctor's TARDIS. Doctor's TARDIS too, oh. too large. Well, I'll fill that <laughs> in later. But the um, one of the things that bothers me about um, Claire Skinner's character Madge, Madge and yeah. this scene. Mm-hmm is that she doesn't act like a real person Mm. like her behavior. And, and, and I thought about this a lot because she, she, the way she behaves towards a space suited man with his head on backwards. And it's, it's just like, okay, this is a Moffat thing that he does. He's done it in other episodes. And in particular, another Christmas episode, like the snowman, the way Clara acts to the doctor early Mm -hmm. in that adventure. It's just not, you know, she, he, she, he doesn't write people the same way Davies does, which is very real and down to earth. He writes his mm-hmm. people more as sort of fantasy characters, which is kind of okay. Cause that's what he's going for. But I find it less okay. Um, just because I, I it, it takes me out of the show. Didn't this time as much. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought about why. And um, I think there's a few reasons. This is one the title of the episode already sets you up for sort of fantasy world. So you, you know, you're kind of expecting sort of larger than life characters, right? Uh, people who are sort of unreal. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also knowing that Madge isn't going to be a companion contrasting with Clara in the other, in the mm. snowman. Um, it's, it's, I, I don't need to start to relate to her. If she's it just ends up being this sort of unrelatable person the whole time, I'm not offended by that. And I will also just give a lot of points to Claire Skinner herself, who understood the assignment. Like she, she's very, very good as Madge and oh, she's amazing. sort of, yeah. And she, she really tries to balance that. I'm a believable mother feeling believable mother emotions, but also behaving in this sort of fantasy world like way that my, uh, you know, writer showrunner is telling me to. So she yeah. finds that balance. So all of that is why here, even though it's standard Moffat on reality, uh, I'm kind of okay. I, I don't mind being in that reality. Yeah, there's a lot of things to talk about here, but let's talk about Madge first. I mean, the the episode really does fall on her shoulders, and if you'd had a lesser uh, actor in that role, 
it, it could have completely fallen apart because you have to believe that she's, for want of a better phrase, a mama bear, right? That she will like, you know, shoot these random Androzani people because she's looking for hmm. her children. You know, she have to, you have to believe that she is fierce and strong. Uh, and because that is the reveal, that she is the only one who's strong enough to, um, you know, take the entire race of trees in her head and deliver them home because she is a mothership. She's a mother. And uh, the, the story does risk, I think, being a little too condescending towards mothers. Um, mm. not necessarily a problem, like, especially at Christmas, it's a nice Christmassy message. And, you know, it, we, we've talked before in the show about the Moffat's, uh, style of like, you have to, it's a Christmas day story. You have to shout louder, uh, to, to be heard in the living room. And I just love the idea that moms around the UK, uh, oh, sorry, moms around the UK watched this <laughs> and w- looked at, looked at, you know, the people around have, after having, sweated and slaved over the uh christmas meal like yeah see see yeah it's it's mom who's the really powerful one um <laughs> just you know, so everyone I love knows i slaved over my own christmas meal <laughs> <laughs> last couple of years so dads could do that nice. too nice nicely done nicely done uh but yeah you know you, i mean it is a bit condescending in a in a sort of a Victorian way, I was reading recently about the, the Victorian notion of women, you know, the, the way they, mm. they were sort of treated as, quote unquote, the angel in the house. And it's so it's a little bit Victorian that the doctor sort of keeps pushing Madge to think of home, think of home, think of home. That's how she gets them home. It's, she's she's being the angel of the house, right? That's very, very Victorian style. It's not necessarily right. giving her all the agency in the world, but it is, you know, it's a, it's a nice one for the mums. I'll, I'll yeah. just say that, you know. Um, no, but yeah, but, so to to pull in the other direction, you mentioned Narnia, and we we shouldn't go too far without mentioning that this is so. This is the Christmas special after a Christmas Carol, which was mm-hmm. pretty much a straight up adaptation, or as close as Doctor Who ever gets. Right. And I think a lot of people were expecting this to be more Narnia esque. Right, that right. maybe you'd have a snow queen and maybe you'd have a lion. Uh, it doesn't go that on the nose, although you could argue that the doctor, since he regenerates, is Aslan. Um, but but what did you think? Did you hmm. did you want more Narnia in this? Were you expecting more Narnia? Definitely was expecting more Narnia, <clears throat> and I probably would have preferred it in terms of the meat of the story because honestly, once it gets to the snow planet kind of goes in random and kind of irrelevant and extraneous directions that you just kind of don't care about. Mm. Um, you like, I mentioned the Androzani stuff, which makes no sense. And there's, there's a decent scene where there's a little bit of comedy there, but you, you're not getting much in the way of a point. And there's a bit of an environmental point, which is a weird thing to come out of yeah. at the, uh, <laughs> at Christmas. Um, okay, sure. Don't, don't burn down the trees. Don't melt the trees, uh, on board with that. Thank you. But yeah, well, I guess if you've got a Christmas tree in your living room, you might be thinking about trees and forests. So I can see it. Yeah. There's just not much there. It's kind of like, oh yeah, this was big and loud and fun and it's, it's well-decorated Christmas cracker. But once you pull it out, there's a big pop and then there's just not much there. So, <laughs> Except um, a couple yeah, of large the, wooden um, statues. Well, and and one of the things plot-wise, like, again, you don't want to pick too hard at the plot because the emotional beats hit so well, but I got to say one thing that really stuck out 
was that Christmas bauble that mm. comes out of the tree that Cyril touches and it hatches, right? And seemingly hatches mm. into that king-like tree person, treant, I don't know what they're called. But <laughs> the <why>? ant. <laughs> yeah, the ant. Like, but why did that particular <laughs> one hatch into the king? Was it just a coincidence that Cyril was there to hatch it? What if Cyril had never been there? Mm. And this all all proceeds in some other way. Cause because basically it's a bit of almost like a mislead, even though it is part of the plot. You're kind of thinking, like, oh, are all of these baubles going to hatch? And then when they don't, you're kind of like, well, what what was that? And yeah. you, you know, kind of goes it's reasonably well paced, so you don't spend too much time on it. But I do remember thinking like this is going to be answered later at some point. It's never answered. It's it's just, oh, the, these two tree creatures end up at the lighthouse and that's what we're mm. doing now. <laughs> and it's I, all I, By the way, I, I love the idea that the lighthouse is all constructed of wood. I definitely want to see the trees that can make uh, transparent windows out of wood. Um, <laughs> I love that the doctor argues with the sonic. That was one right. of my favorite lines that I'd completely forgotten about. And he's like, oh, monsters made of wood. And he looks at the Sonic. He's like, you knew this was going to happen. Um, <laughs> which eventually, like eventually, of course, I'm going to. But also, I like the idea, in, and it sort of becomes canon at this point, that the reason the Sonic can't handle wood is that it's just sort of a bit afraid of it. It's, it's just like the Sonic's just like, oh, no, I don't do natural materials. Sorry, it's not not my thing I'm, I'm more of a metal based device um but that it can <laughs> i mean yeah. it's sort of we, we we get at this with with uh the day of the doctor obviously where they, they're trying to do the program with the sonic to get it to figure out the wood in the door at the tower of london remember right like, it yeah, can handle wood, wood thing- but over hundreds of years the wood thing's pretty, like, I mean, again, it's one of these things in uh, lots of sci-fi tropes that don't make sense. I see it as, like, yellow lanterns or y- y- the yellow <laughs> color, not really, like, green lantern could do anything unless it's he has, like, to, you know, crush a banana or something. <laughs> like, right. You, you, you have to introduce... Work on yellow things. You have to do, introduce yeah. a kryptonite for, for every, uh, you know, superhero or superhero-like device. Uh, yeah, and, and it kind of it takes... That. It gives you a, a way to write out the Sonic when you don't want mm-hmm. the doctor to use it. Um, so, so I thought that was fine and, and fun. Like you say, it is a fun, like Smith is great here and he's talking mm-hmm. to the Sonic and all that's good. What I didn't like, like these two tree creatures, they never fully make them scary and they never make them fully relevant. And you, they also do the trope of let's touch a person and speak through them mm-hmm. with their voice. But why did you then create a, tree form with a mouth yeah if you're not going to use it good point you know? good oh. point i i have a mouth and i must scream through someone else um yeah it's a little weird i i think you can um finesse and, and explain away a lot of the tree stuff um especially this notion of like how did they know cyril was coming how did they know the doctor was coming by the simple fact that they have access to the time vortex which by the way, I'm going to get it in early here, a reason why the randomizer brought us here. We recently discovered in The Sound of Drums that the, the master saw the time vortex right through the, the untempered schism. Oh, right. And, and yeah. it was the, the show's credits, uh, the opening credits. <laughs> and 
And the same is true here for the Time Vortex when we're going through it. It's a Matt Smith opening credits. Um, so maybe so the, the tree, cre- tree creatures can travel in time. Their ship can travel in time. And mm. that can explain away a lot of like, how did they know this is going to happen? Uh, you know, just, just throw in some Time Vortex-based headcanon about how they can see the future and, uh, and dig busy your uncle. Yes. Okay. <laughs> sure yeah sure whatever you know yeah, it's, we'll it's christmas it. it's christmas let him off that's fine is it good uh <laughs> well, no answer um it's, so it's, let's talk a little bit yeah. more about the comedy trio of your androzani i don't even know what they are are they mercenaries are they workers i'm are they tree melters I don't think they ever really say. Harvest rangers, according to the wiki. They are harvest rangers. They're to harvest trees. Then why do they have guns, right? Like, they clearly have some sort of security component to them. So here's the thing. I thought that scene was great, and I kind of wanted to see more of them. Mm Because almost as soon as they show up, they're gone. Because they have the one fun scene with Madge. Madge gets a great triumphant moment when she pulls out a revolver after they've put down their guns and takes charge of the scene. Um, Really fun. (laughs) Hilarious lines where they're scanning her and uh, wait, she's armed. Oh no, wait, it's just, she's wearing wool and it gets confused with wool. Yeah. Just like really could drive. But I just thought it was really funny because he has that line. Surely we could tell the difference between a sweater and like a weapon, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, that's sort of, that's nicely echoing the, uh, the, the Sonic's problem with wood. So I kind of like that, but no, my, my, my big problem here is actually those, those are the two characters, not the scanners. So Bill Bailey, uh, I don't know how big a name he is over here. Is he related uh, to George Bailey? He's he's not. Christmas. Uh, yeah, nice, nice reference. Uh, but uh, but no, Bill Bailey is a British comedian, mostly known as a comedian and uh, a a musical comedian. Like he often sits at the piano, and one of his sketches that he actually did, I believe, with the um, with the London Symphony Orchestra. Uh, he okay. did the whole thing where he's sort of like doing a comedy show, but it was, a lot of it was about music. And he does a song, he does a whole segment, a whole sketch where he takes the Doctor Who theme and turns it into 1950s Belgian jazz. Okay. <laughs> and he's like, I feel like some demand somewhere. Yeah, which is, like, but it's brilliant. Like, he really goes into this. Apparently, this started out as a thing in the comedy store where he just, like, there was a beret off stage. He just did it as an improv bit. And then he starts okay. playing the Doctor Who theme because he's a massive, massive Doctor Who fan himself. Nice. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't be Subscribe. surprised. Subscribe. I- I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if Moffat threw in the Androzani reference just to get him uh, on board. Like, oh, you get to play an Androzani ranger. Oh, cool. Um, But the the great thing about that Doctor Who theme becoming 50s Belgian jazz is he starts, like, you think he's just going to play the music, but then he starts this whole French, like Jacques Brel kind of style, you know, (laughs) and he starts talking about Dr. Key. (laughs) (laughs) C'est Louis, nice. Dr. Key. Um, so he's Dr. Who royalty already, and he doesn't get enough to say or do in this. Um, Arabella Weir is the, the comedian who's next to him, uh, yeah. the one who's worried about the optics. Yeah, it, it seemed pretty clear this is like comedic actors. Yes. Uh, now, not only is she uh, uh, a comedian, she was the first female doctor. Really? Yes, in Big Finish. 
Um, do you remember in the 90s, Big Finish did the Unbound series? Oh, which was sort yeah, of like vaguely. alternate universes. And right. she was an alternate third doctor. Okay. Uh, where she's been exiled and like they I guess the doctor doesn't turn into Pertwee, he turns into her, and a lot of fans are upset because there's there's like burping and farting uh in, in her like her character kind of the doctor's let herself go after all this time on Earth. Like it's the opposite yeah. of the doctor getting a job um with unit. And uh so yeah, she and also fun fact about Arabella Weir. Um, also in that episode was David Tennant, who was her lodger. Oh, wow. Now I kind of want to listen to this. Yeah, right? It's, yeah, definitely put that in your big finish list um, because it sort of got... Rev- like her, her, he, he just moved to London. Like Nobody knew who he was as an actor. He was staying in her apartment. You know, cut two years later, she's going out with him like he going you know gets recognized as the doctor everywhere and some fans <laughs> recognize her as the doctor too like they don't even know that there are two doctors walking around so well, lovely lovely story and she barely gets any lines yeah uh, so yeah real memorable, at least i mean mm. she talks about respecting as a woman and she gets to interact with madge um yeah. and show sympathy but just, like i say as soon as they're there they're kind of transmitted away Yep. And then we have the rest of the story. I would love to see an alternate version of this where they don't transmat away and Madge and the Rangers all have to go in the tower. Hmm. And there's there's basically more opportunities for sort of witty dialogue and sort of people to do things. And then they end up uh, all back on Earth together and the do- mm. like, and you have the problem of these people from the future there, but that's easily fit. The doctor will just drop them off whenever, right? And so then they're all there for Christmas dinner, and it's just like <laughs> this great weird Christmas <laughs> where you have the survivor RAF pilot, you have the family, you have the doctor, and these weirdos from the future just kind of yeah. like, all right, here we are. What's up? Merry Christmas. Talk, talk about found family. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you go even deeper into this notion of, you know, Doctor Who as a real thing in Doctor Who world uh, that we've already talked about with this notion of like, that they could be like, uh, what do we do now? And the Doctor's just like, oh, just go to fan conventions and say you're from Androzani. You know, people, <laughs> people will be all over you. Um, you know, the cosplay, a you ch- charge a dollar a photo. You'll be great. Um, so I'm going to make one more, uh, British comedian, uh, reference, uh, right. and then I'm done. Uh, and that is to Alexander Armstrong who plays Reg, the, the RAF pilot. Oh yeah. Now, yeah. have you seen any of the RAF, uh, airman sketches that Ale- Alexander Armstrong is involved in? Uh, if you just have it, I don't think so. If you just Google Alexander Armstrong, RAF, you know, or Armstrong and Miller was the name of the comedy show that he was in, uh, RAFM, they did this amazing sketch, which was hilarious, which is like, visually, it looks very 1940s. They're dressed as RAFM and it's in black and white. It's got that kind of sepia tone thing, the crackling audio, all of that. And they're talking in very posh accents, but what they're saying, all of their dialogue is like from London youth, of, of the 2010s so so they keep saying in, instead of saying in it in it you know which is a very london <laughs> they say oh, isn't it isn't it yes yes lost lost my ble- leg and stuff blood um you know uh, isn't it um like <laughs> you know how i like and, and there is one sketch where alexander armstrong's character is in bed after having just crashed his plane 
Oh, uh, right. <laughs> he's like, for yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I just love the line, and it's appropriate for this podcast because he's in bed. He's like, you know, you know, like how many legs I had uh, before, uh, and the other airman's like, oh, two or some shit like that. And he's like, yeah, blood. And now I've only got one. And the the other airman says, random. <laughs> <laughs> I love that those sketches are just completely, you know, uh, like I, I just wish every American could see them. I think they're hilarious. Look them up on YouTube. I guess we can put some links in the show notes. Um, but that's why it's so funny that Alexander Armstrong is playing an RAF airman in this and playing him sort of seriously uh, because you cannot necessarily, if you've seen those sketches, take him seriously. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hot, hot tip for YouTube viewing here on Pull to Open. Yeah. Oh, well, lots of lots of comedy royalty yeah. in this episode, apparently. Under, very um, underused. Very underutilized, I was just going to say. Yeah. And as much as, you know, we were all happy to see Reg, you know, he, he's not, like, the character is, is a millimeter thin. And yeah. he just knows that he's a good, we know he's a good man because he's trying to reassure his, his uh, co-pilot that they're about to crash, but it's going to be okay. And then he follows the star and then he ends up landing and it's all good and everybody lives and that's okay. I like the everybody lives. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of an that. offity trope, but it's okay. It works. Um, I, I, and the most oh, that Reg... Too. Exactly. And the most that Reg gets to do, and I'd totally forgotten about this, is right at the end, like where uh, he goes up to the attic as yeah. the doctor is just warp, warping away and, and Madge is staring at the TARDIS and he, he's like, what was that? <laughs> and he, she actually <laughs> tells him the truth it's yeah you know, it's the caretaker taking his time machine into the time vortex or whatever yeah. which is a great line and he just has this sort of like looking perplexed for a bit like should i should i be thinking harder about this and then he's just like nah, uh, okay whatever yeah and it again <laughs> totally works i will say also again lines that people don't say right like yeah. again it's another thing of that putting madge on this sort of fantasy character world but mm. you know it's fine i mean if if it hasn't bothered you till now i mean why why would it <laughs> exactly in um, stephen moffat world uh all all earth characters are full of great clips uh quips rather you know right that that's just kind of what they're there for uh they're there to be witty yeah um so that answers a lot of questions. And now we're going to answer some more questions <laughs> about the doctor, the widow and the wardrobe. And those questions are the four questions to doomsday. And the first question as ever is why did the randomizer take us here? Which of course we've already touched on as we do, but um, there might be some direct. Yes. I'm going to go, I'm going to go for mine first because yeah. Uh, I want you to have a better reason because mine's a little bit angry. So <laughs> it took us to last time, another holiday special revolution of the Daleks. And within that special, we had the doctor returning from being away for a long time to her companions and they being kind of mad at her, like yes. really mad at her. And what, well, how could you do this? And, um, Yaz even shoves the Jodie Whittaker doctor. Yeah. Uh, that's like her first reaction. And here there's an echo of that, right? With Smith coming back to mm. Amy at mm-hmm. the end of this episode. And uh, I'll just say this is much better handled. I, yes. I think this comes in, he's there, 
she's kind of mad at him, but she's kind of fake mad at him and they both know it. And I think this is, it's such a, I mean, we already talked about the scene, but it's such a good scene. And it's also such a good scene because these two actors who are good friends, as I think everyone knows, um, know each other so well, know their characters so well. And you're, you're there like, I mean, with them and you're just like, come on, come on, you guys hug it out. And then they just, okay. And they, they just have this great warm hug. And Mm. I think in addition to this showing the proper way to handle sort of this emotional beat, even though I I understand revolution was going something different. We've talked about that in that podcast that we didn't Mm. think it worked, but uh, it also, in my view, bookends the beast below, which we were at, Mm. you know, not, not too long ago, a couple of months ago, That's which true. is shows the, uh, I believe it's the first hug between the Matt Smith doctor and Amy in that one at Ooh. the very end of that episode. Good. And cool. yeah. mm-hmm. I, I feel like this really punctuates the Smith era, at least with the Amy Rory part where just how sort of warm and human he mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. Uh, in that era. And like how that is different from David Tennant, right? But David Tennant was, yes, you know, obviously great. He was very uh, fun and happy in his own way. But I, that, that scene where, you know, Matt Smith's crying at the end and Mm. it just really gets you um, on, on this human level that I don't think even, even Tennant's era was, was capable of really. Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. It's really, yeah. Yeah. should have had a water pistol. In, in <laughs> right hand, I think that's what yeah. we're learning here. Uh, instead of shoving the doctor, I'm, I'm, I'm mad at you. I'm splooshing you. You know, um, you know. And yeah. then, but you're absolutely that. That great. I love watching it because it's just a wordless scene of like, well, I'm not going to hug first. I'm not going to hug. It's going to have to be you. And they both sort of <laughs> look at each other, and their facial expressions kind of finally come round to the hug. And it's just, it's perfect. It is. Yeah such an excellent example of how that happens and um it's just really like how could we possibly let something get mm. in the way of this deep deep friendship we have you know mm. and we were asking that and of course and then again like in revolution of the daleks that's why it's a little bit angry like i'm like you're 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 frustratedly asking that in, in a like like why how could you possibly be letting this get between you two like she's back right like, she was in space on. jail she doesn't even have yeah. smith's excuse uh, of you know, like what is near Smith? I can't even remember why he had to let them think he was dead. He was dead. It was like I know he's right. going a bit more low key in the universe overall, but why did that have to include Amy and Rory? So he has less of an excuse than yeah. the Doctor in space jail, which is perfectly legit. You know, seventy nine billion years away, couldn't get a message home. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, so anyway, all right, I, so, I, I want to say thank you, Randomizer, for for the cleanser. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, go nicely ahead. handled. That's. I think that is actually better than mine. Uh, all I had is that. Well, we've we've mentioned the holiday special mood. The randomizer is belatedly filling our request for that. Uh, the the three companion story. It's kind of on a tear with that. Um, but also, it's another country house, uh, just like Black Orchid. Mm-hmm. And uh, does does make me think like what? Where is Uncle Digby? I know Digby is a reference to uh, the uh, the character from the Magician's Nephew and Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe, but like that's never answered. Why is right. he not there? And how is the Doctor just able to to take it over? So I wonder if there's something else going on there. Something wow, maybe that, yeah, might give us more Black Orchid vibes. Well. 
Could be something sinister. We're going to have to identify something sinister (laughs) for our next question, which, of course, is what if the evil plot had succeeded? And is Hmm. there an evil plot here? (laughs) I'm just not really sure. I guess the melting of the trees, maybe, uh, and what those guys have planned. Because honestly, if you think about it, how is there not a fail safe once you realize there are people down here? You know? Yeah. That's kind of evil, isn't it? Like, uh, all these people down here, maybe put hit the stop button on that melting thing you're going to do for a second while you make sure everything's clear. Um, I mean, it it sort of does succeed, right? If if that's the evil plot, they do actually melt down the trees and get get their energy. Well, I guess it's not part of their plot, but presumably. Something happens. Uh, maybe uh, Madge gets uh, doesn't get out of the the loader in time, and she ends up getting melted by the um, the acid rain. So mm. she doesn't get in. Therefore, there isn't the right vessel for the tree spirits. They can't get off the planet, and everybody dies. Which is a mm. bit of a bit of a downer for a Christmas episode. Uh, <laughs> but again, it's, it's no one's idea. And, yeah, exactly. I don't think that counts yeah. as the evil plot. You know what I think might be closest to an evil plot here is the Doctor uh, putting yes. a multi-dimensional gateway inside a present that, <laughs> you know, without being aware that yeah. children all, always open their presents early. Now, a lot of people take the Doctor to task for this in this story. Um, right. I'm going to counter it with the fact that it's sort of a great example of how uh, yeah, of course the Doctor should have realized that this wasn't safe. Um, but it's already established. This, this episode has already established the Doctor is, A, not great at security. Uh, <laughs> you know, Madge can just lock, lock pick her, her way into the TARDIS. Um, but also... But that wasn't he's the kind TARDIS. Of, That's the joke. Well, well, yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, yes. But anyway, he's he's not, you know, he's not great at security. He's also not great at... Uh, well, he's clearly not great at security because the door comes off of the country house that he's, uh, you know, when he welcomes yeah. them in. So there's another reason. But also, he's, he's, it's developed a fault. <laughs> I love that line. Uh, and, and I love the, the fact that he doesn't recognize that the stairs don't move. He's like, oh, God, we have to walk <laughs> up them. Um, but I think that, that, that what this all tells us is the doctor's kind of going off his rocker a bit. He's, 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 uh, you know, perhaps a few uh, leaves short of the full tree, or a few needles short of the full evergreen. Uh, in in this episode, he this is exhibit A through Z of why the Doctor needs humans, yeah. why he needs companions. Um, so I actually kind of like that. And yes, it's sort of. I, I mean, I guess it was. It's not even an evil plot, even from the Doctor's perspective, because it was kind of meant to happen, and they get to save the trees. Madge gets to. You know, I mean, you know, Reg wouldn't be alive without the, all the mishaps around that present. Um, so, not particularly. So, evil, so your but, evil plot is the doctors. Yeah. In that it's not really evil, but it is crazy and doesn't um, yeah. take well into account the ephemerality and vulnerability of humans, mm. which I but like. I like had, that idea. If it had succeeded, here's the question: If the kids had gone through that portal when they were supposed to on mm-hmm. Christmas Day, would they have arrived too late? Ooh, that's a good would, would question. Would they just have arrived in a very non, non-Christmassy melted forest? Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ponder that one. Yeah. I think they would have. <laughs> so, so, so the moral plot. of the story is let your kids run around through multidimensional uh, gateways into yeah. forests where they're all alone because it'll all work out in the end. Yeah, one thing I didn't get a chance to say about Cyril, by the way, in there, I thought mm-hmm. he was relatively smart as a kid, sort of going in and out of the portal a few times, mm-hmm. because that's what you should do. You should make yeah. sure you can get back. Yep. Like, And he, he kind of does that. Um, so points for him doing that, because too many times you sort of see people go through these gateways and are just like, oh, I'll just start wandering around in this other world. But like, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> can, I, can I get back? Like, and he confirms that he can. So it's like, that's cool. That's right. And poor Cyril, not getting any Turkish delight from, from the I Snow know. Queen. Really, you, you, that's a kid who needs some Turkish delight in his life. That much well, maybe, I can tell about Cyril. Maybe some treats could be coming his way via someone else. Someone <laughs> who may be in this story somewhere, mm. but we're not sure where. Let's see if we, see if we can find a place for her. For the, in our next question, which is, where is the Clara Splinter? Clara yeah. Oswald, as yeah. we all know, splintered at the end of the name of the Doctor across the Doctor's time stream. And she might be somewhere here. And this is for this. also a very, very interesting episode to ask this question, because we are one story ahead of the appearance of the first Clara Splinter in Asylum of the True. Daleks. That's true. Yeah, uh, we're we're just uh, we're on the threshold of Souffle Girl, and uh, so it you you got to think this is probably a very big splinter since it's so close <laughs> in time, um, and that she's got to have a big. I mean, maybe in some way she's she's encouraging Cyril to go through that gateway hmm. because if they go through it too late, it'll all be acid rain. Um, so is she like yeah. an anti? Or something. Yeah, she's or... like she just appears in the living room in a cut scene that we never get to see, and be like, "Come on, come on, Cyril, it's all right, it's all right." The doctor said you could open it early. It's it's fine. Just and she's dressed it. up like Mrs. Claus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what's she doing there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, she comes down the chimney. She's like, "It's okay, Cyril." Santa says, "Open it early." Oh, okay. Mm. That could happen. I don't know if you needed extra motivation. So I, I had two ideas here. Yeah. One, I think Clara could be a groundskeeper for that country manor, and she's just making sure the yard's big enough and flat enough, like it's cleared, so that a plane can land <laughs> somewhere <laughs> like just outside the house. Just make yes. sure it's nice and nice and big, lots of room. Mm-hmm. So that's a possibility. Um, the other one that I think I prefer is that she essentially is on the auxiliary police force in Madge's neighborhood at the beginning of the story. And mm. she is just making sure all those police boxes in the area are just totally up to snuff. They are perfect. They have their own lights. <laughs> um, they are fully upgraded from your regular everyday police boxes that you find elsewhere. And so these are sort of special custom jobs. And she's made them to look basically identical to an echo in her head <laughs> of the 11th Doctor's TARDIS. <laughs> yeah, the St. John's Ambulance uh, TARDIS version. Yeah, I love that idea. She could also, actually, I mean, this, this could be an interesting time for the, the Clara Splinter to to think that she's helping the Doctor, but like Madge, you know, isn't accounting for Madge coming along. Like she's... Mm making the the path to the TARDIS easier for a man with a spacesuit on backwards uh, somehow, but, you know, does, isn't accounting for him being found by Madge. 
uh, you know, just oh, kind of okay. looking yeah. at this all uh, unfolding. It's like, oh, damn it. I, you know, I was <laughs> this chick. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is my job. I, you know, she's w- nice. waiting with the getaway car, but she just arrives a little too late or something. I love that she's like just off screen, like, <laughs> oh, and she just kind of turns oh. around, like dejected. God damn it. Now they're going to well, go yeah. to the wrong TARDIS. They're going to go to the wrong police box because <laughs> I wasn't there to drive him to the right one. Awesome. All right. So there's some good explanations. Uh, and finally, we get to the final question. The only question, the one question everyone's been waiting for. What are we going to rate this episode? And of course, our rating system has four different levels. There is a Dalek, which is a good episode of Doctor Who. An Ogron which is a perhaps not so good episode of Doctor Who. The Professor Hater, which is a not so good episode, but hey, at least we learned something. <laughs> or the Viscount Banger, which we reserve for the best of the best of Doctor right. Who stories. Get your bingo cards ready. Um I uh you know, I'm I'm tempted to say that Cyril grows up into Professor Hater. Uh, <laughs> okay, I, <laughs> that's, check the check the timing on that. So, nineteen forty-one, that could work. Not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. yeah, he could be like yeah, fifty something in nineteen. Exactly, like he's nine years old in this. So, yeah, yeah that could totally work. Um, like yeah, he goes to Darlington University and becomes a Darlington man. He could become a <laughs> His full name is Cyril Hater. Um, yeah, no, why would he think uh, we're, everyone's hallucinating though? That's weird. He gets really cynical when he gets out of college. Yeah, exactly. And really loves fish and chips. Um, but yes, no, I, I don't think I don't think it's a professor hate. I think it's a Dalek. I think my my second full viewing, uh, in which I was thoroughly surprised to find out that this had a plot, um <laughs> is uh it wasn't just a random series of Christmas lights. Um it's uh yeah, it's a it's a Dalek for me. Um, it's not, it's more a sort of a plasticky Christmas Dalek. Oh yeah. Like a, like a bad seventies. It's, it's like a seventies Dalek lunchbox. Interesting. I like, I like it. It's a Dalek for me too. It's definitely a holiday Dalek. It's red with green balls or the other way around. (laughs) Um, it's got more twinkling lights than you can count more than the Supreme Dalek in Mm. the planet of the Daleks with the flashlight. (laughs) <laughs> blinker it's got even more blinkers all around it it's a it's a holiday dalek daleks are not festive <laughs> explain yeah my kids both liked it um jack even said it was lighthearted fun he really enjoyed the last bit with amy and rory and i already said what grace thought of it she really loves the willy wonka matt smith doctor and all the like he's just so good with kids in this episode obviously purposefully but like yeah really really delivers so i i think without matt smith and uh without uh Kleskin, i think that this would have been a different story much more likely to have fallen into ogron territory but they they save it they make it a dalek and of course um now we we want to find out what you think of our four questions because uh, yeah. we, we are right. Pete, we're, we're going to put that yeah, in the we're doing this. below it. So, Spotify <laughs> listeners, check out your app. There is a poll for you there to ask what you think of the episode and what you think of some of our answers to these questions. And um, hopefully you can also leave your own. So um, 
TBD. <laughs> what <laughs> yes. you guys think? And uh, again, we'll we'll add your rating to the codex, uh, assuming we get a critical mass of response. So make sure you respond, Spotify yes. listeners. Yeah, in, in a very timey-wimey way, you are in the future, and you, you get to decide this, and we, we don't even know what questions are there right now, but go ahead and answer them. <laughs> okay. Work in progress, this segment. Anyway, no, what is not a work in progress is our next segment, which of course is when we close the door to our TARDIS, activate the console, and hit that randomizer button to find out which Doctor Who adventure we're going to next, as long time pull to open listeners know the randomizer consists of two parts one is the pull to open codex which i have in front of me now a a spreadsheet that contains every single televised episode of doctor who in sequential order and the codex has been upgraded recently so that we no longer will ram into time locked episodes which is to say episodes we've already been to um and we will soon spin it up with the random element which of course is what chris is random.org the the, uh, website that looks for atmospheric noise and random ships ejected from the time vortex (laughs) in the atmosphere uses that to generate a random number because true true randomness can only emerge from something that is not based on a computer algorithm that guesses at randomness. Uh, And uh, yeah, I plug in the number one, that that is a constant, uh, into random.org and I we used to do it so that it was uh, 302 and then we'd have time locked episodes but how we're doing it now is also a way that lets us see how many episodes of Pull to Open we have left so Pete what is the big number? The number currently is 232 Wow! Yep. I can, it is so close to the end I can taste it um, <laughs> 232 Doctor Who adventures we have yet to experience. So that is, it, is the number Chris is, is going to plug it, into the randomizer. Is it time for me to say I don't want to go? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I'll is do that. that your challenge for the randomizer. No. <laughs> I guess an episode where those words are uttered. I've already gone to a couple. I think. No, I think yeah. I'm. I'm just thinking when we get down to like uh, double digits, I'm gonna. I'm gonna be saying that every time I hit the generate button. Um, <laughs> it's true. My challenge to the randomizer is please, please be nice to our guests uh, because we mm. will have guests next week. Whatever we're choosing here is not just for us. It's for them. It's for the Cloyster Bell podcast. So please just don't, don't do anything too long. Please don't do any six parters, you know, don't do right. any like invasion Seven of the parters. dinosaurs. Like, yeah, nothing of the that invasion with the war games. Oh God. Yeah. Please don't, don't just don't do yeah. oh, I'm begging. I'm on bended knee randomizer. Just give us a nice, easy, like preferably new who or something short and old who like edge of destruction. Just don't, don't give us war games or Daleks master plan. Okay. Good. <laughs> Please good. don't embarrass us in front of the guests, randomizer. That's a good challenge. I'm going to do something slightly different. I'm glad you covered that, by the way. So I hope yeah. he listens to you, although now I feel like you're jinxing it. <laughs> uh, but we're, we've just been to a couple of holiday specials. We read Black Orchid. I'm going to do it. Randomizer, flip the switch. Take us to something dark. Something Ooh. maybe even violent. Um, oh, whoa. Yeah. Dude, do something like challenge us. Give us some adult themes. 
Let's do this. <laughs> I, I actually like that. Yeah, that, that, that's yeah. a good challenge for this randomizer, which seems to have gone a bit too kid-friendly in uh, in recent times. And of course, that is definitely a feature of Doctor Who, but there's also the dark side. So yes, all right. Well, if you give me a countdown, we will find out uh, where our ship is taking us next. We are completely at its mercy. All right, spinning the wheel in... Four, three, two, one. Blow, crow, blow, crow, so. 156. 156, 156. That's we right are on the borderline. At the waters of Mars. Whoa. Okay. Speaking right. of specials. I it listened to us. That. It listened to both of us, Pete. I think this is a this is a first time that, that it's actually done it yeah. because Waters of Mars gets pretty dark. That's getting dark, and it's 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 a one episode, or it's one yep. of the specials from uh, two thousand nine, uh, David Tennant's last uh, few adventures. Yeah, and he, wow, he doesn't yeah. say I don't want to go, but he's getting close yeah, to this saying is, this it. Is the, it just missed, right? <laughs> we just missed that. Wow, that's amazing. This is really really interesting. It's funny. It was when when you read the number. It's funny we. The, the old way we did the randomizer with the show numbers, mm-hmm. you could kind of tell where we were in new who versus classic who by the number. Right. So 150 one, was about the di- dividing line, right? Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And now it's, it's kind of like a mystery, you know, if it's really <laughs> high or really low, you kind of know, but I really wasn't sure where that was going to take us. So yeah, this yeah. is good to know. It was either going to be the end of McCoy or it, it might've been in the TV movie, but no, it's like, I guess we've done enough of the classic series to uh shift it all the way to where like we're at the end of the tenant era mm, at 156 yeah. now that's fascinating it's fascinating it's fascinating, fascinating. to uh, you know mr spock even and we're all going to be <laughs> oh, yeah. fascinated next week guys just as chris said we're going to have guests next week so please tune in then we're going to have the guys rob and liam from the cloister bell podcast uh, it's going to be great. There's going to be double your commentary, double your fun. <laughs> Hopefully it won't be double the length. I'm going to make that promise now. We're going to keep it tight. But folks, it's a podcast. So what can you do? Well, you could subscribe to our podcast and hit that button wherever you are, especially if you're on YouTube, which would really help us out there. Um, also, if you're on YouTube and you're subscribed there, why not hit the bell button so you get informed whenever we have new content? Uh, subscribe to us, of course, on whatever app you're on. If you're on a podcast app, uh, please follow us on social at pull to open on TikTok, pull to open 63 on Twitter and Instagram. Once again, Spotify listeners, we're going to do special things for you there with polls. And we'd love it if you could uh, return the favor and do something special for us by rating the podcast whenever you get a chance. Uh, and hey, special thanks. I want to shout out. I don't shout them out enough to Martin West and Thinking Fish for a lot of our music. Uh, we use it every week. Thank you so much, Martin. And we will see you next week when we have guests and we talk about the David Tennant special, The Waters of Mars. Any last words, Chris? Yes, uh, we haven't done it. We didn't mention it this time, but please leave us an emoji review. Uh, I think uh, just, you know, Doctor Who titles in emoji form. We uh, we didn't do it this week. We will do it again in future. Waters of Mars, like that. That's going to be too easy. Red dot wave emoji. Um, <laughs> well, babe, get creative. There's a zombie you get, emoji too, you right? Get more, that's true. You get more yeah. creative than that. There you go. Uh, but please, just leave us emoji reviews, and and we will read them out on the show. Uh, we always have fun with those. So yes, and we any will of those see places, you. Twitter, Instagram. 
the, yeah. I forget all the places, TikTok, etc. Reviews, reviews are the best place to leave them, by the way. Yes. And guys, we will see you next week with guests. Take care. Thank you.